When searching for a church, there are probably some things that you'd like to find there before joining. Next on The Balanced Word, let's see what Jesus wants to see in the church and in our own lives. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day, wake up my hand, and the instrument I play, wake up my voice, let the world hear me say, you are worshipped and it's all to Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel welcomes you to another exciting and challenging study in God's Word here on The Balanced Word. Today, Pastor Dave Rolf begins his new series in Revelation on the seven churches. These are the last recorded words of Jesus to the church, so that should pique our interest. You might think of it as a report card on how the churches in Asia were doing, and there's something we can learn and apply to. First up is Ephesus, a church with a lot going for it, but also with a serious problem. Here's Pastor Dave. Good to see you guys today. You know, we just a few weeks ago finished our study through 2 Samuel. And so today I'm starting a new like mini series. We're going to go through the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. These are the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches of Asia at that time. The book of Revelation starts with chapter 1 as a picture of Jesus in all of his glory. Chapters 2 and 3 are these letters to seven local churches. And they're in order of the circuit that they would go on where those churches are, which is in present-day Turkey. So it starts with Ephesus, and then it moves consecutively throughout that area of the country. So the reason, and then the rest of it is all about here's what's going to happen down the road as it describes the events of the tribulation period and the millennial kingdom and, and ultimately the eternal state. What makes these letters so interesting to me, and they're some of the most important scriptures for us to study today, because think about it, Jesus, we read the gospels where Jesus taught for three years about everything that people really needed to understand. And part of that, notably the last couple weeks of his life, he was preparing the disciples for the fact that he was going to die and that they would have to do life without him. Then he rose from the dead. He taught them a few other things. His last word to his followers was, you need to take this message and communicate it to the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You need to, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So that's kind of it. That takes us to 33 AD. Now, a lot happened after that. Like Jesus, when he was speaking prophetically about the future, he, in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and Luke also, he talked about the time when Jerusalem would be overrun by the Romans. Well, that happened in 70 AD. So Jesus gave us, took us to that point, but man, a lot's happened. Now, by the time the book of Revelation is written, it's in at least the 90s AD. So we're talking about 60 years or so after Jesus gave his last teachings. So the church had this commission, and now Boy, a lot happened in the world. And the reason to me these letters to the seven churches are so important is 
It's really the last thing that Jesus had to say to his followers, to the church. And it's kind of a report card as to how they were doing up until that point. So for me, these letters are incredibly important to us because it really is Jesus' last word before in the end when he wraps it all up together. And so there's a lot that we can learn as the church, you know, changed and developed and grew. Remember, there, he talked about, you know, upon this rock, I'll build my church. There was no church. There was no church until the, the disciples took the message of the gospel and spread it to other places. But also at the time when Jesus died, the main church was in Jerusalem. But eventually Jerusalem would be overrun. Now the main church, there were churches scattered throughout Asia and Europe. And so, and some in Syria and other places as well. So it's like this is an update. And so for me, I look at this and I'm like, this is interesting because Jesus, after you know, 60 years, having been on the earth for three years, now he says, Oh, by the way, here's what the church needs to understand. Here's what you need to know. Here are the things that are most important. So to me, it's exciting. And we'll see each of these churches has a little different emphasis because they were all individually different kinds of churches. But in the end, they all apply to us. Now, there are people who, who think that each of these churches represents an era of history, that the church in Ephesus represented the first century church. And by the time you get to Laodicea, it's the last day's church. But really, that's it's a cute idea, but there's no way. It doesn't measure up historically, biblically, through church history or anything else. It was just so. But if you want to believe that, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind you believing it. I, I love it when people are wrong because it makes me smarter. But, but here today, we will look at the letter to the church in Ephesus. And then each week, we will take another of these letters. It's interesting that Ephesus is listed first. Part of that is very simple, that mechanically, when John gave this letter to be passed out to the churches, the church in Ephesus was the one that was closest to where John was when he was on the Isle of Patmos, uh, where he had been banished. And so it was, mechanically, it was the logical church to start with. But also, the church in Ephesus is by far the most amazing church in the early church for a whole lot of reasons. For one thing, the city of Ephesus was iconic. It was the greatest city. It had been rebuilt by Alexander the Great during the Grecian Empire. And by this time in the first century, it was just this huge city, culturally, religiously, in so many ways. It was the place. They had a, and we, uh, next year, Lord willing, when we go to, um, our Israel trip, and then we're going to go on a, on a tour hitting some of the places in uh, Europe on a cruise. We're definitely going to go to Ephesus, and, and we'll also go to Patmos where, where John was, was uh, sent and where he will go to the cave where he most likely wrote the book of Revelation and maybe 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well. But the reason it's important, you know, well... First of all, it was the most pagan city of its day. It's always interesting how God works most in places that are most pagan because there's such a contrast. It's like, 
well, it's not like, wow, these people are really moral, but they don't have the gospel. No, they're, the people in Ephesus, well, they, they worship the goddess Diana, who was a, you know, a grotesque figure that represented everything sleazy and immoral that there ever was. And that was what they were known for. The temple to Diana was, was um, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And there are still remains there of it. And I mean, they had 67, 68-foot pillars on this thing. It was so prominent that it was also the, the world bank of the empire at the time was that temple. But they had a theater that seated 20,000 people. They had an amphitheater where for competitions it seated 100,000 people. This was the place in the ancient world. It really was. Now, I mean, it was like if you went to Ephesus, you would go, this place gives me the creeps. It's kind of like it's Pride Month every month there, you know. And, but it was gross. So, but that made it a really important city. But the church in Ephesus was amazing as well. Think about this. Paul went, and Paul just loved going to places where the need was the greatest. So on his third missionary journey, he went to Ephesus. And instead of just stopping in, preaching, and leaving, doing a crusade, Paul stayed there for three years. He started this church, and he pastored them for three years so that after it was all said and done, he said, man, I taught you the whole counsel of God. Everything I could think of to teach you, I gave it to you. So the church got off to a great start with Paul as its pastor. Then, later, Apollos, the greatest orator of the early church, pastored the church in Ephesus, and he had Priscilla and Aquila helping him out there. They were like his assistants. Then later, Timothy, who was like a son to Paul. Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And then finally, the apostle John, the disciple who Jesus loved, became the pastor there at the Ephesus church for many years until when he was close to 90, he got exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But after he got out of exile, he went back to Ephesus and was still, he pastored the church for a while, but then even when he was getting too old to actually pastor, church traditions tell us that every week they would bring, they would bring John up to the front of the church. Now remember, this is like 30 years after Paul's dead. Most of the New Testament, all of it's been written pretty much, except for the books that John wrote. They would set him up in front of the church and everyone would be quiet and John would say, beloved, let us love one another. Then they would wheel him off. So this church was amazing. You know, everybody who was anybody had been involved in this ministry. So when we see Jesus addressing this church personally, it's something that we should give it particular attention. And it's why it kind of starts there because this is the church of the ancient world for sure and and ultimately he has a lot of good to say about them but let's dive into this it's just going to be the first seven verses of revelation chapter two to the angel of the church of ephesus write. now that word angel is just a word that means somebody that brings a message so it probably wasn't a, an angel an angelic being as we think of angels it was just someone who carried the message. 
It could have been a messenger. It could have been the pastor of the church at the time. We don't know, but each of these churches has a messenger, and, and that's who Jesus is addressing. In those days, a lot of people couldn't read, so somebody would have to read it to the people. So he says, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. If you go back and read Revelation chapter 1, it's primarily a revelation of Jesus in all of his glory, like shining in, in you know, they do, John does the best he can to describe it, but he can't even describe it. And so as these letters are introduced, he'll pull one of the ideas from chapter 1 and identify himself that way. So it's Jesus going, I'm the one. I am the one that we're talking about this glory. That's where I am, and I have a message for you. And he starts out in verse 2. By the way, he, it with, in most of these, he has good things to say about them and bad things to say about them. Now, there's a way that people in communication say, if you want to say something bad to someone, it's best to sandwich it by saying something good, then say something bad, then say something good again. Because they're more, they know really the bad thing is why you're talking to them. But it's kind of like if somebody works for you and you call them in and you say, you know, I just want to tell you how, how much I've loved having you work here. But, you know, you're really kind of worthless. <laughs> but we'll always remember you. <laughs> That's the sandwiching. So he kind of does that with this church in Ephesus. Like says some good things that are sincere. Then he says the bad thing, which is, really what he wants to address, and then he throws out one other good thing at the end. So, I know your works. The word there for works, it's not talking about doing good things or bad things. The word ergon, it's a word that we, well, we use, for instance, a, a desk or a chair in an office, we say that it's ergonomic, the laws of work. In other words, it works efficiently. So, ergon in work in this respect is here's basically what you do. Here's who you are. Here is what your basic identity of how you do life every day is. So he's saying, I know that, but I also know your labor. The word there is a word that means laboring to the point of, you know, just it hurting, like painful labor. It's, in Greek, it's the word kapos, which is at its root means to cut. So it's like, I know the way you do business, and I know that sometimes you do it so much that it hurts. I know your patience. I know that you can't bear those who are evil. You know, you have a healthy evaluation and analysis of people who are doing things wrong. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You guys are really good at finding fake apostles, fake Christian teachers, and identifying them for what they are. Now, back in Acts 20, when Paul had addressed the Ephesian elders, this was one of his major warnings that he gave them. He said, they're going to rise up leaders among you who are going to corrupt the truth and integrity of what my heart really says and what really matters. You better protect yourself from those people. Now, he didn't tell them, you live in a really sleazy country, and so you better watch out for all those sinners out there. No, he's going, you're a real threat. 
comes from within. And so here, Jesus says, you guys are doing good with that. You're being discerning. You're being discriminating. You are addressing the phonies among you. And so I give you credit for that. You don't, you know, you don't put up with that. And you have persevered. You hang in there when it hurts. You have patience. You have labored for my name's sake. And that's like I've, you work to the point of exhaustion for me. And you have not become weary. You're exhausted, but not so much that you quit. So basically, this is pretty good. As a church, you're sticking up for the truth. You're looking for people among you that are getting it wrong. You are working so hard and so faithfully, and you're doing so much good, and I applaud you for that. But he says, nevertheless, in verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Sounds like a pretty minor thing. Like you're doing everything church is supposed to do. You're being good. You're confronting evil. I just have this one little tiny detail. You have left your first love. Now, don't think of first in terms of like this is the love that you had right at first. That's the, the, the Greek word here. The Greeks were, were almost never focused on, you know, uh, when something happened. They, they're all about what's important. And the word here, protos, refers to the most important love. You have fallen away from the things that you should be caring about the most. You've left your first, your most important love. So, he says, there's some things you need to do. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent. That word metanoia means start to think differently. And do the first, again, protoss, the most important stuff, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you can learn to think differently, unless you can learn to repent. So he goes, love is missing in your lives. Orthodoxy, it's great. It's interesting how often getting your, your orthodoxy right, your belief system right, sometimes seems to almost lead to a lack of love. The Pharisees understood this. Jesus criticized them for this all the time. Yeah, you have your theology down, but you don't care. But remember, Jesus, in talking about the law, when the Pharisees were trying to trick him by, like, so all these laws, 600 and some laws, which one's the most important? And Jesus said, you know what? Let me give you the Cliff Notes version. What's important is all of the laws summarized in this. Love God and love people. That's it? Yes. It comes down to love. That's what God has been trying to say. And so they well knew this truth because Jesus talked about it a lot. The Apostle Paul, who had been their first pastor, had talked about it as he wrote to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was an interesting church, and we'll visit that too. But as he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 13, after he's saying, man, you guys are so gifted. But he goes, I want you to understand this. You can have every gift that there is, and you can be somebody who is willing to sacrifice your own body, and you can give everything to the poor. You can be so good, but if you don't have love, 
It doesn't mean squat. It's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. This is the central core of what it means to follow Jesus, is to be loving. So Jesus isn't saying, you know, you guys probably work on the love thing, but boy, I'm really... No, he's saying, you're doing so much good, and it's being wasted. And he says, ultimately, if this doesn't change, I'm taking you out. You won't be there anymore. You won't be able to be doing all your good works. You won't be able to be, oh, your theology is so good. Oh, you're doing all your apologetics and you're shouting down the road. He goes, no, without love, nothing will happen. And see, when orthodoxy is good, you know, in theology, they talk about orthodoxy as basically believing the right things. And then they talk about orthopraxy, which means doing the right things. But orthodoxy and orthopraxy can be as great as it can be. Without love, it doesn't mean anything. So he says, this is something you better get a handle on. And I believe that this is something that to this day is still a primary concern of Jesus. It's why he didn't just send it in a note to Ephesus, but he had it put into the last book in the Bible so that everyone who before you're like, oh, I want to read about the Antichrist. He goes, Remember this, without love, none of it matters, and you'll be taken out. So what do you do when you realize, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not as loving as I'm supposed to be. The love, of course, is what gives our message power. No one ever listens to your arguments and says, I can tell you hate me, but you have a good point. <laughs> people are interested in people who they know really care about them legitimately. So... For each one of us, we have to ask ourselves, is that coming through? Is that coming across? If it isn't, as is often a battle that many of us face, certainly we're no different. I mean, these Ephesians, they were good people, but they had this problem. Thanks for joining us today for The Balanced Word with our pastor and Bible teacher, Dave Roth. We're developing a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call us and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go Through the Bible in a Year with Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or go to thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can also watch them on Instagram or Facebook by following CC Pacific Hills. We'd love for you to join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45, and 11.30. Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. And you can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. Can we pray for you? Just contact us through thebalancedword.com and leave a prayer request. Or again, call 949-362-7475. 
As we return to Pastor Dave, he speaks for a minute or two about the importance of remembering. What do you do? He says, first of all, it starts with remembering. Remember from where you came. Now, he isn't just saying what you need to do is go back and be the way you were before. When he says do the first works, he is saying do the most important stuff. But to remember is where it all starts. When we keep moving, and a lot of times when we're busy in life, and our culture knows what it's like to be busy, it's easy for us to lose perspective on the past. And partly we don't even want to think about the past because it brings back sad memories. It brings back things we went through, brings back things that we were never able to forgive. I know many of you know that my little brother took his own life. And he did, I, I heard about it. The coroner called me in the middle of first service. So I thought, I, I can't, I'm not going to tell anybody about it, second and third service, because like then nobody's going to be in the mood for hot dogs and stuff. But it was like, so you suck it up. But in the last week, thinking about him, memories. Oh, my gosh. Just, and it's not, some of it's painful, but a lot of it's so important to get a perspective. When we shut ourselves off to memories, we shut ourselves off to life and to caring and to healing. We'll speak more about the steps to take when you've left your first love as the Ephesians had. Next time on The Balanced Word with Dave Raw, a presentation of Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hands. And yeah.